Welcome to the newest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino with you. For those of you celebrating, happy Passover, happy Easter weekend on this good Friday. We hope everybody's having a great day. Paul, how are you and yours? We're doing well, John. Hope the same on your end of the stick. And, uh, you know, let's just get this thing moving because we're two weeks away from the NFL draft. Yeah, inside of two weeks now, absolutely. And we will have Lance Meadow joining us. I know you're all very disappointed for the second half of this show. And we're going to do our first uh, Big Blue kickoff mock draft. Will he have a step stool with him? Uh, well, he, well, he has to in order to reach the mixer and the microphone. Okay. So he'll be joining us for the second half of the show to do our first Big Blue kickoff mock draft of the season and but first we're gonna have a couple of guests Charlie Campbell will be joining us he's a draft analyst uh, for Walter football but right now we want to try somebody new you guys are very familiar with the draft network they do a great job breaking down everything online with a lot of their um, features on their website they have the mock draft simulator on there uh, they have a premium service as well you've heard from a lot of the guys from that site over the years including the likes of Kyle Krabs we had uh, Ben Solak and Trevor Sikamon a couple weeks ago and today we're going to welcome in Jordan Reed who works for them as well a analyst on the draft for the draft network Jordan good to hear from you John Schmelk and Paul Dettino here in New Jersey how you doing I'm great it's a pleasure being on thank you guys for having me Hey, thanks a lot for being with us. And I just want to make sure, I kind of looked around a little bit. Uh, you played college ball, right? Where'd you play? I did. I played at a small school called North Carolina Central University. It's in Durham, North Carolina. Everybody has heard of Duke before. It's about five minutes away from there. Close enough. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Jordan, let's, let's start with this. Just based on raw grades, if you take position value and all that out of the mix... Who are your top five players in this draft? Um, I think it's pretty easy for me, and everybody pretty much has a consensus for the most part uh, who the top guy is, and that's Chase Young for me. And he reminds me a lot of Julius Peppers coming out, and that's not to say he's going to have the same type of career arc or trajectory or anything like that, but I just think as far as the impact that he can, that he can have from day one, I think he can be very reminiscent of Julius Peppers. And then after that, things get a little bit interesting for me. I actually have Jeffrey Okuda the cornerback from Ohio State, his teammate as the same, or I should say my second-ranked player on my big board. I'm a big fan of Akuda. I love everything that he brings to the table. A guy, a height-weight speed guy that I think is terrific, and it wouldn't surprise me if he was an all-pro type of player by his second or third year. That's the type of potential I think he has. And then a person that you guys are very familiar with, Isaiah Simmons, is the third-ranked guy for me, the linebacker, class hybrid safety from Clemson. I like to use the unicorn reference for him just because you can't really peg him into one spot. He's what I like to call an all-of-the-above player and that he just plays everything on the field outside of interior defensive line. So I'm a big fan of Simmons. I think he's going to be a terrific player. And then I get into the quarterbacks a little bit. I have Joe Burrow as my fourth-ranked player. I don't need to spend a lot of time on him. We know exactly what he did this year <laughs> and just the type of magical year that he had this year. And then my fifth-ranked player is Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle from Alabama who had a meteoric rise during this year. And something that's really interesting about Jedrick is that all year we heard with Alabama, the guy opposite of him, and Alex Leatherwood, who was the Alabama left tackle. But come to find out, everybody started to pay attention to the right tackle, and that was Jedrick Will. So he had a meteoric type of rise during draft season. Jordan, let me ask you this. Uh, I like to term guys blue-chip guys who are going to be very high first-round picks, who are going to be multiple-time Pro Bowl players. And then there are guys who I consider royal blue-chip guys. 
And these guys are like, well, let's just use this phrase that Dave Gettleman used when he talked about Saquon Barkley. Guys who you think you're going to be able to fit with a golden jacket. How many royal blue chip guys, you just named five at the top of your board, are all five of those guys royal blue chip? So I would be confident in saying the first four are. Um, and that's Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, Isaiah Simmons, and Burrow. After that, I think it gets a little bit sketchy for me. And I'm really glad you brought this up just because I love using analogies when I'm talking about players to help everybody better understand just the type of trajectory that they can have. So the reference that I use for this is called clear packaging prospect. And we all in this chat have talked about or have ordered a package before and it coming in a clear wrapper. You know exactly what you're getting when you see through that clear wrapper. So whatever comes on your doorstep, you know exactly what you're getting from day one. So that's why I say Chase Young, Akuda, Simmons, and Joe Burrow. I would classify all those guys as clear packaging prospects. All right, well, let me follow up on Simmons because I agree. I think it's pretty clear what he's capable of doing. But, Jordan, in the NFL, his effectiveness is really going to be dependent on how whatever team drafts him decides to use him. To me, I'm not going to call him scheme-dependent because I think he can actually fit in any scheme, but I do think that how a scheme utilizes his unique skill skill set will impact exactly how much and how good he is and how much he helps the team win games. And I think you're spot on with that. Of any prospect in this draft who's more dependent on their landing spot, as far as their career being make or break, I think it's Isaiah Simmons. And I'm going to give you guys a throwback name. Taylor Mays is a guy that comes to mind. And then some others, Obi wow. Melifonwu from a couple of years ago. And then Mark Barron from a few years ago as well. These type of players, they have to be coupled with a creative defensive coordinator and a defensive mind that really can exploit or deploy all of their strengths. Just because otherwise, if you peg them into a singular spot, that really doesn't fit their exact skill set and what they could bring to the forefront. And just going back to Simmons, he's a guy you really have to use all over the field just because you don't want to peg him into one spot just because I thought Brett Venables did a great job at Clemson just using him all over. And he played every position outside of interior defensive line, and you saw the type of impact that he can have. And he's a player, when you're watching film on him, you really have to pause the screen to see where he is. So if the Giants were ultimately able, or if they went with Isaiah Simmons, you can't just peg him as a linebacker or a safety that's why I say you have to classify him as an all-of-the-above player. But the biggest thing, if you select Isaiah Simmons, is you have to have a distinct and clear plan for him. Otherwise, he's probably going to flame out very quickly. Well, in a way that, uh, you know, when they called Saquon Barkley just an offensive weapon, that's what Isaiah Simmons is on the defensive side of the ball. He is a defensive weapon, and you have to understand what it is that he's going to do. And if you're going to build your defense around him, you need to know how he's going to be a flagship player. Let me ask you this, Jordan. I've looked at your mock draft, which just came out most recently in the last 48 hours, and I see your top five guys in order based on, I guess, how you feel these teams are going to pick, not necessarily off of your board. You've got Burrow to the Bengals, Young to the Redskins, Tua to the Dolphins, and Isaiah Simmons to the Giants, followed by the Lions taking Okuda. That's exactly the five that I came up with when I left the Combine in Indianapolis because obviously you see it the same way that the Lions and the Dolphins are going to make a swap so that Miami can go get their quarterback. Yeah, and it's going to be a move that was very similar to what we saw three years ago with Sam Darnold and the New York Jets coming up and swapping picks with the Indianapolis Colts. I think that's a situation where Miami could go up and just ultimately get their guy because it's no secret they want a quarterback in this draft. It's not a secret at all. Now, I think they're probably going to want to go up and get their guy just to protect themselves a little bit from the Chargers 
at six. And then the Panthers at seven definitely could be another team that comes up and gets their quarterback. So they probably just want to come up and go ahead and secure their guy. Now, whether that's Tua or Justin Herbert, nobody really knows just because rumors and smoke screens are going all over the place right now. All right, let me throw it to you this way then, because I, I can totally see where you're coming from where Simmons is the higher-graded player. If I put you in the chair of the Giants general manager, Jordan, as someone that, that played quarterback, how important is it, though, do you think for the Giants to try to secure those offensive tackle spot uh, to help their first-round pick from last year, Daniel Jones, and also secure a position that, frankly, is one of the toughest ones to find in the modern-day NFL? Oh, it's absolutely paramount. And you invest the sixth overall pick in Daniel Jones a year ago. You want to set him up to succeed the best way possible. And I think an offensive tackle would be a great pick there, but I kind of went back and forth with this just because I put a ton of thought into my mock drafts. And I'm big on looking at executives' philosophies and what they have done in years past. The only offensive lineman or the highest drafted offensive lineman that David Gettleman has selected was Will Hernandez with the 34th overall pick. Mm -hmm. Now, circumstances are a little bit different just because he has a young quarterback to protect. So maybe they go offensive tackle there, but my thinking is he wants to take the best player available on the board, and he sticks to his philosophy of getting an offensive tackle at 36. Now, whether that's a Lucas Niang from TCU or a Prince Tegawanogo from Auburn, there's a bunch of tackles in the second tier that I think he would be as comfortable with taking with that 36th overall pick as opposed to the fourth overall pick. Jordan, is there anyone else outside of the Miami-Detroit trade that you see in the top 10 that is going to make a move for a QB? Uh, it's really hard to say right now. I think some teams might opt to trade up for some of the receivers in this class, but it's a strong receiver class. But there's going to be some teams that really want to get their guy. And what I mean by get their guy is I think these guys in the top tier, Henry Ruggs third, Jerry Judy, and also CeeDee Lamb, we could see a couple teams try to trade up, uh, maybe into the top 10 to maybe secure one of those guys. Talk about some of those second-round offensive tackles you mentioned, Jordan. Uh, Which one's your favorite? Why do you like him in that spot? I know, generally speaking, you guys over at the Draft Network are pretty high on Niang, a lot higher than some of the other folks out there are. Yeah, and I like Niang, and the thing you have to understand about him is that he was dealing with a very nasty hip injury last year, and he wasn't able to go through most of the pre-draft process at all just because of it, and he only played in four games last year. But if you go back and watch his film from a year ago and you really focus on him as in the totality of him as a prospect, I really like him a lot. Just go back and watch him against Ohio State. He completely shut out Chase Young and Nick Bosa a year ago. So that just gives you a microcosm and a snapshot of what he could be. I like Lucas Niang a lot. And if the Giants were to take him at 36, I would really, really like that just because they don't have to worry about a guy that's switching sides or anything like that from left tackle to right tackle. Niang has only played right tackle in his career, and that's exactly what the Giants need. So he could be a plug-and-play day-one starter. Another guy in that second tier would be Josh Jones from Houston. I think they're probably going to have to trade up from 36 in order to get him just because I think he's probably going to be a late first, early second-round pick. And some others just going through the names. Prince Tegel will no-go from Auburn. A guy, Another guy that was injured, he's been dealing with a knee injury, so we weren't able to see him throughout the pre-drive process. He missed the senior bowl, and he wasn't able to compete in the combine either. But a lot of people are really excited about him just because he has the athleticism that you're looking for. And we see that teams really fall in love with these athletic offensive tackles. And they're not scared to overdraft him. We've seen it with Colton Miller in years past, and we saw it last year with Andre Dillard and Titus Howard. So 
Prince Sega Winogo definitely is a name to keep an eye on in that second tier. Well, if I can continue my analogy to the colors, uh, the way I see it is that I like guys who are red chippers, and I think these offensive linemen are red chippers at the top of the second round, which is a guy who may be able to start for two contracts, but he may not necessarily make a pro bowler. Uh, do you see this second group of offensive tackles as all red chippers, or do you think they would be reaches in terms of where their talent value is? Um, I would say there, there's a lot of guys that are really red chippers, I would say. Now, if you're looking for some more down-the-line options, um, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia is one guy that's starting to get a lot of steam here lately. Now, I don't see the first-round talk that's going on about him right now. I don't really see that just because he is so raw, but – I think he's the guy that definitely fits the billing of the hog molly reference. He's a big boy, man. (laughs) He is a big boy. Very, very big, big individual. He's going to be a 21-year-old rookie. So uh, he's a little bit wet behind the ears in the sense that he's going to have to learn on the go. But if you just – it's going to be a trial and error period with him. But if you stick through that with him, I think you can have yourself a really nice starter. Jordan, I want to ask you about two guys that I'm kind of focusing in on because I think – in a draft class where it's pretty shallow at edge rusher, two guys that I really think rush the passer well, but I'm not sure they're built to be full-time edge players, and that's Zach Bond out of Wisconsin and Josh Uche out of Michigan. I think Bond's the better player. But how do you view those guys in terms of how you're going to be able to use them all three downs if a team decides to invest in one of those guys as a 3-4 outside linebacker? So I actually have both of those guys on my linebacker board, and you just have to use them as situational pass rushers. I think Zach Bond probably is the better of the two if you're looking for an every-down rusher. But I just think Uche just gets pushed around a little bit too much for my liking. In the running game, I think Bond is much bigger and much stronger at the point of attack. But I like both of those guys at linebacker, and Uche has a little bit more experience at on the second level as opposed to Bond, who's primarily played on the edge. But I like Bond a lot, and he's another guy that's been paid commonly to the Giants at 36. We still know they need have a need at linebacker, even though they did sign Blake Martinez. I still would like to see them address it even more, and I think Zach Bond definitely could be that second-level guy that they're looking for. Let's stick with this whole concept of if the Giants don't go Simmons and they go offensive tackle at four, they do want to try to get a pass rusher in the second round. Does Okwara fit into that equation for you at all? I saw you had him down at the Seahawks at 59, which is a heck of a lot lower than where the Giants are. Yeah, um, he's a little bit of another guy that's an interesting case just because he really just hasn't reached his potential. He, He leaves a lot to be desired as far as a run defender. And Andrew Thomas really gave him a lot of problems. And, you know, he's going to be going against guys like that in the league week in and week out. And I just think his strength isn't where it needs to be right now. And if they're looking for an edge rusher, I just think they can get some better options as far as some guys that have a little bit more upside. Maybe not as good as a pass rusher, but if you're just looking for a total total overall and more complete type of player, I think there's some better options. Do you see an edge being a fit at 36, or do you think everyone that would be value at that pick might be off the board by the time that comes around? I think there's going to be a lot of value there, and this is a really interesting edge class just because I think after Chase Young and Clavon Chason, I think that's really where things get interesting just because I don't know if teams are going to have Zach Bond graded as a linebacker or or edge rusher. I could see him going late first, early second. I think that's a fair range for him. Yuter Grossmontos is another guy that I think is going to end up going in the first round, but after that, things get a, a lot really interesting, I should say, just because it really just depends on what flavor that you like with these guys you have. You're guys that are more complete overall, and then you have some guys that are just this twitchy, get-up-the-field type of guys, and then you have your two-down run stuffer. So it just depends on exactly what you want. 
All right, final one, Jordan, before we say goodbye. Everyone has, like, their favorite mid-round, late-round player that they think everyone's underrating a little bit. Who's your pet cat in this draft? Who do you really like? Oh, wow. I have quite a few. Um, So one I will talk about, (laughs) Uh, Terrell Burgess from Utah is one guy I like a lot. And I was talking to Lakey folks who defensive tackle from Utah yesterday, and I asked them, they had so many talented guys on that Utah defense from Jalen Johnson to Bradley and I to himself. And I just asked him flat out, who was the best player on that defense? And he quickly said Terrell Burgess. So keep an eye on that name. I think he's one guy that definitely could rise as we get closer to the draft. Um, another guy is Joshua Kelly from UCLA. He's received a lot of glowing reviews from some of the scouting buddies that I've talked about in the industry. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a third or fourth round selection. Darrington Evans, the running back from Appalachian State, is another guy that I like a lot. I think he's a guy that's definitely going to go a bit earlier. Um, but one guy that I'm a huge fan of is Daryl Taylor from Tennessee. He's a name that I think the Giants are going to like a lot just because he has the production that you're looking for, but he played hurt for most of last year. So we really weren't able to see him really exploit his potential fully. So I'm a big fan of Daryl Taylor. I like the explosive qualities that he brings to the table. I think he's equally as versatile as a run defender as well, but he just was battling injuries last year. So he didn't really look like himself for the betterment of last year, but his junior tape was really good. And the early part of his senior tape was good, but he just started to battle that ankle injury and it ended up hurting him. And we haven't been able to see him during the pre-draft process either. You think he'll be on the board at 99 for them? Ooh, I think he will. (laughs) I think if it were, if I was a GM, I wouldn't let him last that long, but I think with the ankle situation and teams not having any numbers on him, I think that's going to be a huge detriment to his stock. Jordan, terrific stuff, my friend. Pleasure talking to you. We'll definitely have you on again down the road. Enjoy the final two weeks here. And uh, why don't you tell the folks where they can find your work and uh, the type of offerings you guys have at the Draft Network. Yeah, so you can find my work on Twitter, at NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D NFL. You can also find my work on thedraftnetwork.com. We have articles going up every day. And, of course, like you mentioned, we have the mock draft machine going on. And something else that I wanted to talk about is that my actual draft guide is coming out Monday, April 13th, this upcoming Monday. So uh, the good thing about my draft guide is that it is $10, but something that I've done for three years now, I've been doing a guide every year since then, is that it is $10, but your $10 is actually donated to a charity called the Raleigh Rise Against Hunger Foundation, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where I reside. So um, that's something that I've been doing every year. And your $10 goes to a great cause, but also you're being able to brush up a little bit on some of the prospects that the, the Giants may draft. So um, that's something that I did want to mention. Yeah, absolutely. That's a heck of a Jordan. thing to do. Yeah, Jordan, that's fantastic. Thanks so much. I'll, I'll make sure I pick one up myself. I appreciate it, man. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you down the road, all right? No problem. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. That's Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. Excellent job out of him. We thank him for joining us. We'll go right to our next guest. That is Charlie Campbell, Senior Draft Analyst for Walter Football puts out some fantastic mock drafts every year. Does a lot of work on the draft class. Charlie, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino up here in New Jersey. How are you today? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing fantastic. And uh, we, we just got off the phone with Jordan, and we kind of talked about the guys at the top of the class. And I think that's probably the right way to start with you. I'll ask a different type of question. How far down on your list, uh, your overall big board, do you start getting the top offensive linemen in this group? Do you have them right in line with some of the top defensive guys, or do you have them a little bit further down the list? Um, I have them pretty pretty much right up there with the top defensive guys. I, overall, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of separating uh, the top offensive linemen from, say, 
guys like Isaiah Simmons and Jeff Okuda. And, and speaking with teams, you know, Chase Young is the consensus number one prospect around the league. Uh, Derek Brown is the overall consensus number two. Uh, and then the offensive linemen are right there with uh, Young and Okuda. You know, these top four offensive tackles that we've talked about ever since going to the Combine in Indianapolis all have a fan club, if you will, that one one segment says this guy's the best one. The other segment says this guy's the best one. There is the furthest thing from a consensus that I could ever imagine. I'm not going to ask you to rank the top four necessarily, but from your understanding – is there anything that could have happened since the combine, since we didn't have pro days and we didn't have workouts, that could possibly alter a team's opinion as they get to draft day about which guy belongs in which spot in the order? Yeah, definitely. That would be the coaches getting involved. And, you know, the, the coaches, uh, they really hit the draft hard. Uh, you know, at the end of at the after the combine into the free agency time frame and then in April the coaches are watching tape on all these guys. They have their preference uh, on players. They also get into the interview process and you can have guys just not uh, get along well with certain coaches and that drops them out of contention for a team or uh, it can push a guy up because coaches can fall in love with a player and pound the table for them. Uh, because they really want to work with them. And when you have coaches that don't want to work with certain players, that really hurts uh, the chances of that guy getting drafted by that team because GMs and the scouting staff, they don't want to take a guy that the coaches don't want because then it's just things are going to be off on the wrong foot from the get-go and could easily lead to a, a blown pick. So, uh, the coaches can really shake things up. And, you know, this year is obviously completely out of the norm uh, with the area scouts staying at home and teams not having the traditional uh, pre-draft meetings. But the coaches are still involved. They're still having their say. Uh, so that's going on right now as we speak. If I may, between those four offensive tackles, do you get a sense from talking to people around the league that there is one guy who is more coachable or more likable? Well, not necessarily. I haven't heard any bad things on any of those four guys in terms of character, football character, uh, coachability. I do know that some team sources feel that Andrew Thomas from Georgia is the most ready to play right now, that if if teams were going to line up and play a game tomorrow – he's the most pro-ready to start immediately out of the gate. So in terms of being coached up and technique and uh, NFL-ready, he has a slight edge there over some of the other guys. From talking to people around the league, Charlie, what's your sense for how teams view Simmons? Obviously, they view him as a very good player. You know, duh, anybody can do that. But how you use him is going to be so important. So talking to people around the league, what's the, the vision you think for how teams are going to use him right off the bat and what kind of role they think he can grow into. Absolutely. You nailed it on the head. And I know some teams and scouts that felt uh, it wasn't as much of a cut-and-dry evaluation. He was actually a bit more challenging um, because he is so unique. And you do have to consider 
uh, what he does well and what he doesn't do well. And, you know, how is he going to handle taking on blocks as an NFL linebacker? Can he take on and shed uh, in the traditional sense that teams look for a linebacker to do? So that's been a big question with him. And so I think, uh, you know, his role and how teams see him is really varies by team. Everyone agrees he's a great sub-package linebacker, a coverage linebacker that's going to be an, an excellent pass coverage guy. Uh, in that sub-package, which teams are playing between 60 and 70% of their snaps. So the majority is kind of decided right there. But in the base every down set, some 4-3 teams see him as a Will, some see him as a Sam. You know, that Will is that kind of the Derek Brooks sideline-to-sideline speed guy, uh, like Levante David, uh, and some I've heard some comparisons with him. Um, and then the, the Sam is, tends to be playing a different kind of role. So, you know, for that position, I think he would fit as a will in a 4-3, and in a 3-4 he'd be that kind of mo-run-chase inside guy. But you'd want to pair him with a sturdy, strong Mike uh, that can take on blocks and kind of be that enforcer in the middle if you're playing him in a 3-4. So how high does he go, Charlie, for a guy who has so many skills but yet apparently needs to be a good fit? How high does he go? You know, honestly, I think he might go a little bit lower than people are expecting. I think he's going to go in the top 12, but it wouldn't surprise me if he goes towards the end of the top 10 or just outside of the top 10. And the reason is the position. It's just positional need at that high of the draft. You know, I can say confidently I really don't think the Giants are going to take him. I think they're going to look at the offensive line. Uh, And then after that, there just really isn't a need lining up until you get till the end of the top ten for a team that might take a linebacker and then early in the teens. So that's the range where I think he goes. Cleveland at 10, the Raiders at 12. I think that's kind of the low mark. I think the Raiders would be thrilled if he landed and became another one of their Clemson additions. (laughs) No doubt about it. (laughs) What's your feel, Charlie, for what the trade market's going to be? There was a report out there from Ian Rappaport on Thursday that the Lions have been, I think the quote was, very receptive in discussing trades at number three. Do you think that? where a trade-up's going to happen for a potential quarterback, or is one not going to happen? Do you think the Giants might have a shot at number four to, to trade down? What are you hearing about that? Well, yeah, in talking with teams, I've heard that teams say they think the Giants are in a better position to move down than the Lions. One, it's, it's slightly cheaper, you know, just going down a slot from three to four. And they know that, you know, the the Lions probably aren't going to take the quarterback. Uh, everything points to them sticking with Stafford and their regime is on the hot seat. So uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to take a quarterback. So I've heard from teams they think the Giants are in a slightly better position to move down if the market heats up there. And I think the key for it heating up is Miami and the Chargers wanting the same quarterback because I don't see anyone past those teams that are that is really looking to jump ahead of them for a, a quarterback. So I, it's really going to come down to those two teams wanting the same guy. Last year, Charlie, 
The Giants moved up out of the second round. They made a deal with the Patriots to get back into the end of the first round and grabbed DeAndre Baker. Now, none of us over the last three or four months have discussed the possibility of the Giants doing something to move up from 36. Could you see any scenario by where they did that, let's say because they took the tackle they wanted at four, or they took Simmons at four, and they wanted to get the other part of that duo equation at the bottom of the first round and did not want to wait till 36? Yeah, I I do think that's possible because, you know, the other great thing about moving back into the first round is you get the fifth-year option on that rookie contract, which is tremendous cost savings, you know, especially uh, when you're talking about that. You you get to delay doing an extension for a year. uh, That might give you more time to kind of sure up some money to be able to sign the guy you know it it really helps to have that flexibility so that wouldn't shock me if they did that again because there's so many benefits to getting back into the first round there from a money and contract standpoint Um, and then you know you have to look at who might slide there you could have a guy like Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma slide because there are some medical concerns with him. He wore a neck roll. There's some stinger uh, concerns, and that's mm. a you know physical position. He's a violent defender, and, man, he is fun to watch, and he's an excellent player. But we've seen guy linebackers with medical concerns slide in the draft, so that's one to keep an eye on. Patrick Queen from LSU, he could also go in the back half of the first round. So if he's sliding... A bit lower, uh, that's another player that you could see the Giants make that move for uh, to get there. And, and also, I wouldn't you know, rule out a wide receiver there. Look at like maybe Chase Claypool uh, from Notre Dame. Dave Gettleman really hit big receivers hard as a GM with Carolina. Uh, so I wouldn't rule him out as a top target for that second-round pick uh, and po- potentially moving up to get him late in the first. We'll go a couple more questions here with Charlie Campbell, senior draft analyst for Walter Football. Um, talk about those big wide receivers, Charlie. I know a lot of people have kind of cooled on T. Higgins based on his workouts. Are you hearing the same around the league? Is, is Mims rising up uh, based on his postseason you know, draft prep action at the Senior Bowl and the Combine as much as people on the outside think? Uh, who, do you, who do you see as being those players uh, that are jumping to the top of that second group of wide receivers after you get past the, you know, the Jerry Judas, the CeeDee Lambs, the Henry Ruggs, the Justin Jefferson, and, and kind of that group of guys? Yeah, I have a report on that today on Walter Football about uh, some of the receivers are there kind of in that range are really polarizing prospects. Like uh, Claypool, for example, some teams, I know a team that has Claypool and Ayuk uh, from Arizona State in consideration for their first round pick. Uh, and then you, I know other teams that have Ayuk graded in the third round. So uh, it really comes into beauty is in the eye of the beholder with those receivers late in the first round. Higgins is one of them. Uh, yeah, the postseason hasn't been as good to him. It's been really good for Mims. Mims is a total love-hate prospect around the league. I know some teams that have him buried on day three and others that have him you know, much higher there in contention. So I know some that like him in the second round, too, and are hoping he's an option for them in round two. So 
uh, it's going to be pretty crazy and wild, wild west style with these receivers coming off the board late in the first and in the second round. Should be really exciting. But I think uh, those two guys are definitely uh, ones that could be going late first, early second, because Higgins does have a lot of good tape. He is a red zone playmaker and a size mismatch problem on the outside. So uh, I think the tape will help him with the coaches here in these final weeks. Can we stick with the uh, wide receivers for just a second, Charlie? Last one from me. The Giants are picking at 99 with the compensatory pick in the third round, and then they come up again at 110 overall early in the fourth. So they've got a relatively close piece of real estate there to take two guys. We're going to assume for the purposes of this discussion that they get an offensive lineman and they get a linebacker in rounds one and two. In this ballpark that we're talking about, 99 to 110, what kind of receivers can they realistically expect to be choosing from? Well, some guys to keep an eye on would be um, uh, K.J. Hamler from Penn State. Uh, He could be in that third-round range. He's a speed demon slot receiver. So I'm not sure that would be the direction they would go considering what they have with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. I think they'd probably look for a guy with more size. So you could consider Gabriel Davis from UCF. He's a big tight end. Uh, really played well last year. Uh, an interesting player is Lynn Bowden from Kentucky, who uh, was a wide receiver and injuries forced him to play quarterback, and then he just dominated uh, the SEC as a running quarterback last year. He's a great athlete. He has some size and speed to him. He could be in that third, fourth round range. And then also Van Jefferson from Florida. Uh, and the thing that I think really helps Van Jefferson is he's a star on special teams. So I think the, he's one of the best special teams players in the draft. So if you're talking about a third or fourth receiver, he really brings some nice added value there. His father was a coach in the NFL, receivers coach, so he comes in with developed technique uh, and just knows the ways of the league better than most players so he's going to be able to hit the ground running so those are some top ones that i think could be available in that third fourth round range that might be really nice value picks final question charlie talking to people around the league i know you have great contacts who are some of the players that you think or maybe give me one of each however you want to do it doesn't matter where you think the people on the outside that kind of do what we do are a lot higher or lower on a player than the people in the league actually are Well, you know, it's interesting because I think, uh, you know, some of these guys, uh, it can be based on the combine workouts and whatnot that uh, we in the media get a little enthusiastic on, but teams might not be quite so high. But this year, uh, there hasn't been one that really stuck out to me quite so strongly as in years past. Like a year ago, I would have said DK Metcalf right off the bat because, he had the great combine workout, but I knew teams weren't grading him high in the in the first the way the media blew up after the combine workout. So uh, this year, I think you do have those guys like Mims, uh, who's kind of in that love hate range with teams, but the media, you know, can hear from teams that like him and push him up there. Same thing with Ayuk, and then, but the one that I would say probably Jordan Love. I surveyed teams 
uh, at the Combine, and he was voted uh, by teams as the most overrated prospect in the draft. So uh, I think, you know, and one college director said to me, quarterback is played from the neck up, and he has a great skill set, but he needs a lot of development. Uh, you know, technique-wise and in the mental part of the game. So I think the media might be hyping up Jordan Love uh, much higher than where teams have him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he slips to very late to the first round or into the second round. Charlie, awesome information. Great stuff, man. It was a pleasure having you on the show for the first time. We'll definitely have you on again. Uh, Enjoy the next two weeks. And one more time, tell people where they can find your great work. Yeah, I'm at WalterFootball.com, Draft Campbell on Twitter. Uh, I got a seven-round mock draft coming up soon. I'm at five oh. rounds now. And God we got bless all you for that. Draft oh, God bless <laughs> you for seven rounds. Holy cow. <laughs> Suffice yeah, it to it's say. Fun, though. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Suffice it to say, you are always staying home every spring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Thank you, Charlie. No traveling. Appreciate Thank it, you. my Thank friend. You. Stay care. safe. You too. That's Charlie Campbell, Walter Football. Really good spot. Good information from Charlie. Good to have him on. Tried a couple new guys today, Paul. Welcome in Charlie and Jordan. I thought both guys were great. Yeah, they were very good. And, you know, the bottom line is, as we get closer and closer to the draft, the more and more people that we talk to, the more fun and interesting this whole thing becomes. Unfortunately, now we have to do a huge downgrade, as, as <laughs> you can hear the laugh. We're joined yeah, by I'm the— I'm not new at all, by the way. No, he's not at all, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but we do have to look down. Yes, well, <laughs> well, under these circumstances, you don't, thankfully. So, Or maybe thankfully for me. We're joined by Lance Meadow from his uh, ivory tower on, <laughs> in, on the island of Manhattan. We thank him for joining us as we're about to do our first ever Big Blue Kickoff Live mock draft in 2020. We usually save these for the week of the draft, but I thought this year, since we're not taking calls and we could do a little three-way show here, it's actually easier to do a three-way show on remote than it is to get three chairs jammed in there in our <laughs> studio with the Giants. So I figure we might as well do it. And uh, we'll do one this week, one next Friday, and then, well, of course, we'll probably do one uh, leading up to the draft as well. Gentlemen, how are you? Very good. I am doing very well. All right, here we go. I set up the picks, folks, so we're alternating. Each one of us gets every three picks, and we'll go to the Giants. I gave myself the Giants in this mock draft. Paul will get them next week. And then we'll figure out what happens when we get to our final week. Probably Lance will end up getting the pick. So um, let's start. Number one, that is me. I have the Cincinnati Bengals, and I'm not going to waste anybody's time. Let's get right to it. They're taking Joe Burrow, best quarterback in the draft. No injury worries like Tua. If Tua didn't have the injury issues, this might be a different pick. But he does, so it's not. Joe Burrow to the Bengals. Easy peasy. Lance, you got number two with Washington. Well, I'm not going to waste much time either. I think that the Redskins are going to run the card up virtually, and they'll take Chase Young. It makes too much sense. Ron Rivera, defensive-minded coach. Jack Del Rio is their new coordinator. I think he also comes from the mindset of you can never have enough defensive linemen. They've invested in that position over the last few years, but it just makes too much sense to add Chase Young into that defense and also in a division where you're going up against three mobile quarterbacks when you look at the makeup of the rest of the division in Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, and Carson Wentz. They need a game changer up front off the edge, and I think Chase Young answers that call. So I think what we instead of run up the pick, what do you do? Speed dial the pick? Is that what we're going to use a new phrase for this year? Speed dial it? What do you I think? I think that terminology works. You like that, Paul? Speed dial? Well, in this case, I think Detroit's going to click the pick at number three. How about that? Okay, click it away. To the commissioner, <laughs> and he's going to go for Okuda because, as I've said since Indianapolis at the Combine, uh, if Young does go to the Redskins like we all assume, then the 
Detroit's going to grab Okuda. I don't care if they're at three or they make the deal with the Dolphins to go to five. Okuda is the guy who they need to replace Darius Slay. Yeah, and there were, again, there were reports I should mention. Ian Rappaport said that the on Thursday that the Lions were talking to teams and they were very receptive, the teams they were talking to, and the Lions for a potential trade down uh, if a team wants to move up and take a quarterback. Uh, Charlie Campbell thought that a team might try to go to the Giants instead because you have to pay less to move up to four than three, but then they risk another team jumping them to three. So we'll have to wait to see what happens. I've decided, folks, in mock draft number two, we are going to allow trades. So that might get interesting, but for this one, we are not. So Paul sticks to uh, chalk here and goes Jeffrey Okuda three to the Lions. Matt Patricia trying to improve that defense. So Giants at number four. Let me ask both of you guys this. Do you guys think you know who I'm going to pick here? <laughs> You're going with an offensive tackle. What do you think, Lance? I think you may lean towards Simmons, actually. Uh-huh. I'm happy I've kept you guys guessing. That means I'm doing my job. Um, I've thought about picking Isaiah Simmons, but to me, and this isn't even about drafting for need. This is about team building. I invested my sixth overall pick in the draft in 2019 in Daniel Jones. This pick is as much about that as it is anything else. The Giants are still rebuilding. Yes, the defense need more, more help than the offense. Simmons is probably more of a need in that way, but I want to protect my franchise quarterback. And I look two or three years down the road. Nate Solder's probably not here anymore. He's only got two years left on his contract, over 30 years old. The right tackle position is in flux. We don't know if they have a long-term starter there. And I don't want to sit there with a young quarterback with an unsure situation at tackle. I think that is a recipe for disaster. Uh, while Simmons might be graded slightly higher than some of these offensive tackles, fine, I don't care. I'm picking the position that I think is going to help my franchise player in Daniel Jones and going to have a bigger impact, therefore, on the roster, on the team, on the franchise, and winning football games long term. I want the Giants to have their Jason Peters, their Trent Williams, their Tyron Smith. I'm taking, let me ask this, which tackle do you guys think I'm going to pick? You're taking Wills. Lance? Yeah, I think you're going to take Wills. I'm taking Jedrick Wills out of the University of Alabama. He can slide right into right tackle where he's played at Alabama the last two years, and I think he is more than athletic enough to easily slide over to the left side when the time is right. So I'm going Jedrick Wills, offensive tackle, Alabama. I I guess I've tipped my hand to Paul a little bit too much. I'm disappointed. The only thing I will say, John, is that because of the Alabama connection between Judge and Nick Saban, If the Giants take Wills, it's because they know every single thing about him, including how many eyelashes he has on each eye. By the way, if they don't take him, I think it says the same thing. Oh, there's no question. Because no no team is going to have more intel on Jedrick Wills than the Giants. That is correct. So they will have a 1,000% conviction no matter how they pick. On that, on that particular player in terms of what they think about him. Now, I'm not going to ask Paul who he would take because you get to find that out next week. Lance, what's your thinking here at number four for the Giants? Well, I would go offensive lineman too, and it would really, to me, come down to Wills versus Wirfs. I mean, that probably is what I would be debating between, and I would lean... I would lean right now towards Wirfs more so than Wills. All right, and we have two weeks for Lance to probably make his final decision when we get to the final week of the draft. All right, uh, pick number five, the Miami Dolphins, Mr. Meadow. 
Well, they're the opposite of the Giants. They're still looking for their quarterback. And this, to me, is a golden opportunity for them to address that. You could also argue they need to still address the offensive line, but they did bring in two free agents this offseason. They brought in Eric Flowers, formerly of the Giants. They brought in Ted Karras of the Patriots. And Brian Flores has also brought in some defensive players. Miami had no pass rush last season either. I just don't necessarily see anybody after Chase Young that warrants the fifth pick at the pass rusher situation. So to me, you take your quarterback here and you try to then build the talent around him. And similar to the Nick Saban connection with respect to Joe Judge, remember Brian Flores was embedded in that Patriots organization for years. I find it hard to believe that he didn't cross paths with Nick Saban in some capacity. So I think if any organization is going to know the ins and outs about Tua, I would think it would be the Dolphins and Brian Flores. And I think they're going to take a flyer on Tua. Maybe flyer is not an appropriate word because I think he's going to pan out quite nicely, but I think they're going to be confident in the pick because of what they get out of Nick Saban and I think two is going to be the future quarterback of the Miami Dolphins well that's good pick and I understand it Lance which is why I'm so happy to give the Los Angeles Chargers one Justin Herbert because he will be the best quarterback in this draft and they're ecstatic to have him because Philip Rivers is gone yeah and I think the one thing that Charlie said Campbell when we talked to him guys was interesting that if these two teams get enough intel where they have a pretty good idea what quarterback the two teams actually like the most, like Daniel Jeremiah in his mock draft this week had the Dolphins taking Herbert over Tua. Yes. And if the Chargers get that feel and they prefer Tua, there's no need for them to move up. Mm -hmm. They can just sit there and wait for their guys. So how those two teams kind of play off each other here with, you know, a little espionage, a little, you know, false and little counterintelligence operations. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, John, I had heard at the combine and, and somebody else put this out there this week, but I had heard it at the combine. There were some whispers that came to me about two is litany of injuries. They are causing some teams to basically not even think about him. I have heard that. I know it sounds crazy. No one's going to admit that in public. But his injury history concerns people about his durability. And I've been told that there are some teams who are not even going to think about him. Not that there are a lot of teams that want a quarterback in the first round anyway. But but durability, when you are picking a guy that high, durability has to be a concern. All right, now we're sitting at the Carolina Panthers at pick seven. To me, guys, they are in a full-blown rebuild. Full-blown. You know, they're kind of starting from scratch here. And in that case, in my opinion, you just pick the best guy that can be a really good player for a long time. And who better to replace a guy like Luke Keekley, who retired this offseason, than a player like Isaiah Simmons. So I'm going Isaiah Simmons to the Panthers at seven. Well, and Simmons is that versatile guy that Carolina actually has invested in in previous drafts. So, I mean, that would be a great fit for them. And as you mentioned, with Luke Keekley retiring, who better to fill the role as that roaming linebacker than Isaiah Simmons? The Arizona Cardinals are up next, and Arizona has done a nice job finding its quarterback in Kyler Murray last year, acquiring DeAndre Hopkins. I really like the nucleus of weapons around the quarterback. You could certainly say that they need some help on the defensive end, but similar to your explanation of the Giants pick, John, I think the Cardinals have to have the same thinking. Now we need to protect our quarterback. Now we need to give him time to survey the field. And while they have addressed that area over the last few off-seasons, injury has come back to bite them. So if I'm Arizona, I'm investing in an offensive lineman that gives me versatility, 
and gives me the flexibility to plug him in wherever I need him. And that's why, to me, Tristan Wirfs makes a lot of sense to go to Arizona. Keep in mind, they acquired Marcus Gilbert from the Steelers. Gilbert's had his own injury woes. He's at right tackle. DJ Humphreys, they locked up this offseason at left tackle. Both of those guys have not been able to stay healthy. So just because they take an offensive lineman, and even though they've already invested in some offensive linemen in free agency and trades, does not mean that a guy like Wirfs wouldn't play immediately because of the track record of injuries with those other offensive linemen. So worse to me is the type of guy that I would want to invest in, especially for Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Now, Paul would refuse to work for the Jaguars because of what they did to Tom Coughlin, but he has to make the pick here anyway. <laughs> Indeed, I do at number nine, and they have so, so many needs. I mean, you could basically go anywhere you want here, so you have to go best player available. I think that's the only way to make this selection because in terms of their needs, nothing is going to unbalance the scales. So I'm going defensive tackle Derek Brown mm. out of Auburn. Good pick. Who I think right here is the BPA. Yeah, I think there's a really good argument for that. I agree. All right, let's get to the Cleveland Browns at number 10. Uh, they invested in Jack Conklin in the offseason. Remember, he's a right tackle, and he's a big guy, You know, probably a better run blocker than a pass blocker. So... Even though I like the other offensive tackle left a little bit better because of his upside, I think the Browns want a plug-and-play left tackle that can be a very good pass protector right off the bat that you can depend on. And despite the fact I don't think he's graded higher by a lot of people out there, I'm going to give them Andrew Thomas out of Georgia to plug in there and protect Baker Mayfield's blind side in Cleveland. Up next is the New York Jets, and they actually addressed their offensive line during the course of free agency. I still think there's room for them to go young, but I also think that if you're the Jets, you say we need to give some weapons to Sam Darnold. We need to give him explosive playmakers, and I know there's depth at this position with respect to the draft, but if I'm the Jets, I'm staring at C.D. Lamb, and I'm running his name up to whatever virtual setup they have there, and I'm saying this gives him an explosive playmaker, Sam Darnold, especially with Robbie Anderson leaving and going to Carolina. They need somebody to receive the football and change field position, and I think C.D. Lamb does that. Well, you know, I got the Raiders at number 12, and as I was trying to figure out what they were going to do, I projected Lamb to the Jets at 11. So you made me a happy man, Lance, because— I aim to please. I, I saw what you were going to do, which is why I'm giving the Raiders Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver out of Alabama, who badly can help that, uh, that passing game. We know that, uh, that Carr is going to need somebody to get deep. The, the, despite the fact they moved to Las Vegas, they remain the Las Vegas 40-yard dash specialist, which exactly. Henry Ruggs will fit nicely. <laughs> exactly. Fit very nicely in there. It's too bad. I was hoping that CeeDee Lamb would drop to the 49ers at 13 because they're losing Emmanuel Sanders. They have Debo Samuel, but he's not really a number one receiver in my opinion. So I think the 49ers can use some juice outside at wide receiver. I also think they can use some help at cornerback. And I think about this and I say, well, the Niners have another pick at 31. I do think they're going to try to trade down because I don't think they have a second or third round pick in this draft, um, if memory serves me right. So they're going to want to acquire more picks in this draft. I think Javon Kinlaw is an option to perhaps replace DeForest Buckner, who they traded to Indianapolis for this pick at number 13. I'm going to go 
Boy, this is a tough one here. I'm going to go with the best player left. I'm going to give him Jerry Judy. Makes sense. I was debating between him and uh, the and, and the next top corner. Keep Lance, you're up next for the Bucks. Yeah, keep surrounding Jimmy Garoppolo with more talent, especially with Emmanuel Sanders out of the picture. You give him two young guys, plus they got George Kittle and a plethora of running backs. Uh, I don't think that's a bad game plan, especially with Kyle Shanahan's creativity. So Tampa Bay has plenty of weapons now around Tom Brady. I don't think he's lacking in that department. Oh, they're happy with what you're looking at right now. And now they need to make sure their house is in order, as I like to say it, and with another offensive lineman, a quality offensive lineman still on the board, I think Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwood say, let's bring Makai Becton into town and let's give Tom Brady some more protection. Well, you know, it's funny because this is a sweet spot for some of the premier wide receivers in the first round, which is why at number 15, uh, I've got the Denver Broncos going for Justin Jefferson out of LSU. Yeah, I think they Drew Locke needs someone to throw to, guys. And I yeah. think I think he's a nice fit next to Cortland Sutton, right? He's a guy that can work yep. the middle of the field, a good route runner. Sutton's more of that outside jump ball type of guy. I think that's a real, real nice combination, Paul. I think that's a nice I, pick. Yeah, I think it's it's ready made for him. It's sitting right there. And now the Falcons are tough here. Look, they need to improve their defense, right? Their offense, I think, is in really good shape. So they have two major needs here. They have a need at pass rush, and they have a need at cornerback. And I think they're sitting there, and you think both positions are premium, so neither one jumps the other in that way. And I just think that C.J. Henderson is a better player than Kayvon Chase on, so I'm going to go cornerback C.J. Henderson to the Atlanta Falcons at 16. Well, I think then the Cowboys are going to be very happy because I was on the fence between both of them. And interestingly, I'm going to bring back a comment that Brian Broadus told John and I a few <laughs> days ago where he said, wherever the Falcons go, the Cowboys are going to go the opposite of who's ever left out of that group of maybe two or three guys. And that's why I think Dallas, which certainly needs a complimentary pass rusher to Demarcus Lawrence, says bring on Caleb on Jason out of LSU and put him with the Tyrone Crawfords of the world and the two interior guys that they brought in in free agency in Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe. To me, it makes good sense. It's a good fit, and that's why I'm going with Caleb on Chason to the Cowboys at 17. Well, that's very interesting because I had Chason for the Dolphins at number 18, and I also don't think that the uh, the offensive tackle spot's going to be fulfilled here because we've already seen the top four offensive tackles go off the board. How about Josh Jones? You've been way too happy in this draft, so I'm kind of happy that I gave you. Well, no, Josh Jones is not now. going that high. I don't see it, John. Okay. I, I think I think he's much lower than than 18. He may be a first rounder, but I don't see him at 18. So I'm going to go BPA because again, the Miami Dolphins are just littered with holes all over their roster. Yep. And. Uh, <laughs> You know, Kinlaw is still sitting there. And I think that South Carolina defensive lineman is a pretty kick-butt kind of guy. So I'm going to go Kinlaw to the Dolphins. I think that's a very good pick. I think he's certainly uh, the best guy left on the board here. Yeah. Um, no question by, about by it. By far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th I think I think that's a... I think that's the outlier that's left. Now, he's a defensive tackle, so obviously a lot of people don't, you know, see that as a larger position of value or need, but I'm with you, Paul. And Lance, I'm sure you agree. The Dolphins, and I talked about it with the Panthers, right? They're kind of starting from scratch here. And I think when you got a team that's starting from scratch, just picking the best guy is probably the best way to go. Well, they need all the help they could get, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. And I would argue if they addressed any of the three levels of their defense, they'd be fine. Remember, they had nobody get after the quarterback last season. No. 
So a part of that is also they had struggles on the back end. So if you shore up all of those areas, you should be able to help your cause. That's why Miami going defense, let me leave it at like that, I think would be heading in a good direction. Yeah, no question about it. All right, now I'm to the Raiders. I was hoping that the first pick for the Raiders would not be a wide receiver because I was all primed to take one here. It went nice and easy on me. I think the Raiders desperately need a cornerback. Um, they picked Trayvon Mullen last year, but I think they need another corner. And the problem right now is that you're into the second tier of guys. So is there somebody that Miami likes better than the rest of them in this spot? Now, I do know this. They love players from Clemson. And Mike Mayock has taken two players from Clemson last year and Mullen and um, Cleveland Farrell, Paul's guy. So, A.J. Terrell is right in the mix for that next best cornerback on the board. I'm looking at him. I'm looking at Trayvon Diggs out of Alabama. I'm looking at Christian Fulton out of LSU. Three big program guys that teams like. I think the Raiders are going to go with Trayvon Diggs because of his ability to play the ball. He's a former offensive player. He can get after the football. I'm going to go Trayvon Diggs, Alabama corner for the Raiders. It's interesting because I was actually thinking about him for Jacksonville, given the fact that they've lost Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye in the blink of an eye. They need a corner right now, Jacksonville. I would also argue Jacksonville could use a wide receiver to give Gardner Minshew another option. They've got D.J. Chark, who's a young guy, but I still think they could use some other playmakers. However, there's a lot of depth at wide receiver still. And with some of the top guys who we have all taken off the board, I don't know if I would be itching to take another one here. So I would probably go cornerback, and therefore I would lean towards A.J. Terrell, who you did not take out of Clemson, considering Diggs just went to the Raiders. Also, remember, I'm looking at what Paul did too, because I have to react to that. And Paul gave Jacksonville Derek Brown earlier in this draft. So with them already addressing up front, I think now it's time for them to address the back end of their defense. That makes a lot of sense, Lance. It really does. And, and of course, you guys now taking a couple of corners means I'm in a position with the Philadelphia Eagles at 21, and, and, and I think it's pretty clear at this point. They're, they're smiling from ear to ear because they can go wide receiver and get terrific value here, or they can go to linebacker because, my goodness, they need somebody on the inside linebacker spot to solidify that defense. So the question becomes – do I make Carson Wentz jump for joy, or do I make Jim Johnson jump for joy? Or Jim Schwartz. Or Jim, Jim Schwartz. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Johnson, yes. unfortunately, is no longer with us. No. But still a very good defensive-minded coach. That, that is correct. And, and I'm going to go for wide receiver Denzel Mims out of Baylor. Denzel Mims. Interesting. He goes to the Eagles. Now, this is interesting because talking about BPA right now, it might be Patrick Queen out of LSU. I just haven't seen a fit for him yet. I didn't want to give the Raiders another linebacker. They just spent money on Corey Littleton and Kayakowski from the Bears. So I didn't want to give him another linebacker. But I think Patrick Queen right now is great value. I just don't think it's a fit for the Vikings. Now I get two picks here with Minnesota. I pick for them at 22, and then I get to pick for them at 25. Yes. So remember, they made that trade for Stephon Diggs, getting mm-hmm. trading Stephon Diggs. So they need a wide receiver to pair with Adam Thielen. They need a defensive end to replace Everson Griffin. 
and they need a cornerback to replace Xavier Rhodes and Trey Wayne. So they have three very, very clear needs here. John and Mackenzie Alexander. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. They lost three right. corners. They did. You're absolutely right. So I think there's enough depth at corner where I feel decent enough where I can sit and not take the cornerback here. I don't think there's an edge player that's worth this pick. I think it's a little too early for Yitur Gross Matos. I don't think the Patriots or Saints are going to go wide receiver. The Saints just signed Emmanuel Sanders. So you know what? I'm going to go back to the cornerback spot. I'm going to take Christian Fulton, who's a good corner that can play some press man for LSU. That's what the Vikings like to do. Give me Christian Fulton to the Vikings here. All right, so then... That leads us to the New England Patriots at number 23. And I know there's a lot of speculation they may go after a quarterback here. I just don't see them taking a quarterback. I think right now they like what Jared Stidham has shown them. And with Brian Hoyer, they're going to try to mentor him. So while I think that's attractive, I'm not falling for that. I think that when you look at what Bill Belichick could do, he could go in a variety of ways. He could go after a wide receiver here. However, I find it hard to believe, guys, that he would take a wide receiver in the first round in back-to-back years. Remember, he took Nikhil Harry last year, and Harry missed more than half the season because of injuries. Do they really want to go down that road again? I think they're hoping Harry develops into the playmaker they anticipated. They lost Kyle Van Noy. They lost Jamie Collins. I mean, they've lost guys who could get after the quarterback and do a little bit of everything. And I know John just threw out maybe it's a little bit too early for Gross Matos, I was actually thinking maybe New England takes a flyer here, and I know he didn't help his cause at the Combine. I'm going with A.J. Epinesa out of Iowa to New England at 23. Good pick. Ooh, wow. I think it's a good pick. Very, very interesting. He fits that power rusher profile that the Patriots like. I I thought that was a pretty likely pick here for them. All right. Well, you know, fellas, you've got every single one of my teams throwing a pizza party here tonight. Because they continue to get guys who are just falling into their laps. The New Orleans Saints are just going bonkers because LSU linebacker Patrick Queen (laughs) is still standing there. And they know that the fans are going to be so, so thrilled to have him in the black and gold. Yeah, I think that's an easy pick here. The Saints need help on defense. They just got Emmanuel Sanders. I think that's that's an easy one. And they lost A.J. Klein, their linebacker, too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm back up for the Vikings here. I might have taken Epinesa here, Lance. I'm not going to lie. So I'm going to look to the wide receiver position. I guess the question now is, who's my favorite wide receiver left on the board? Thielen's kind of your, you know, really good route runner. He's not necessarily a speedster deep threat. I'm not the biggest fan of... T. Higgins in the spot. I don't think Brandon Ayuk is a player I would take this early. You know what I'm going to give them? I'm going to give them Jalen Rager, wide receiver out of TCU. Interesting. Well, Rager's got that big explosive playmaking ability. And he's got speed down the field. Absolutely. Now comes Miami again. It seems like they're picking every other day with the way that this uh, first round is playing out. And once again, I don't think you can have enough defensive playmakers because Miami's defense was an absolute joke last year. And I know that they did some heavy lifting in free agency. Kyle Van Noy comes over. Shaq Lawson comes over. Byron Jones from the Cowboys. But once again, I could still see Brian Flores saying, let's continue to stack up. And I would go with one of two directions here. I think they can maybe look to address safety with Xavier McKinney. That was one guy I was considering here out of Alabama. 
but I'm still leaning back towards the pass rush, and I know that there are some question marks. I think they're going to go with Yitor Gross Matos at a Penn State here at that pick, and I think at this value, it's not that terrible at the 26th overall pick. No, I agree. No, and actually, uh, at 27 for the Seahawks, I was thinking that they had to enhance their defensive front seven, and and for me, it was going to be either him or the other fellow who I'm going to take right now, Ross Blacklock of TCU, the defensive lineman, going to the Seahawks at 27. And the Ravens are throwing a party, folks, because (laughs) they get the middle linebacker that can run and hit Kenneth Murray. They will be the Ravens pick at 28. Yeah, that fits them nice. So here come the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Excuse me, I jumped ahead. The the Tennessee Titans at 29. And Tennessee lost Jack Conklin. So that's a major hole. They want to continue to protect Ryan Tannehill. I think they also want to make sure that Derrick Henry can continue to pound the football. So you look at the offensive linemen still around. And I think Tennessee may say to itself, let's see if Austin Jackson out of USC can fill a void here. And I see them going with him. Wow, Lance, he uh, he hasn't gotten a lot of first-round love from the folks over the last couple of months, more more so maybe high second round. You're kind of boosting him up there a little I am. bit. I'm, I'm going to boost him, and I've seen some first-round mocks yeah, me too. with him going. And by the, the way, you're ticking me off because I was going to take him for the Giants at 36, just so you know that. <laughs> I had made up my mind that he was my pick. Uh, 20, uh, 29 to the Titans is Jackson. All right, number 30, Green Bay Packers. A team that I don't necessarily think they need to take a starter anywhere. I think they can take a guy who can almost redshirt for them. I think across the board, where they're picking, the value at different spots on the board. To me, it's either Josh Jones at tackle, who I can't believe that you know you took Jackson ahead of Jones at, at 29, or, and this is where I'm going to go, I'm going to go wide receiver because I do believe that they want to get another threat for that Mr. Aaron Rodgers to throw to. It's Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Just having surgery, but you pair him with Aaron Rodgers, I like that combination. Very elusive. Yeah. And and I think he is the perfect complement to the receivers they have on their team right now. All right, now I'm up for the 49ers. They need a cornerback to play across from Richard Sherman. The question is, who's that cornerback going to be? Jalen Johnson and Jeff Gladney are my two guys that I have at the top of my list right now. I think both are good players. I think both are kind of worth where this selection is right here. Um, Interior defensive line is an option. I could think about Marlon Davidson at this spot there. I don't like any of the linebackers left or any of the interior offensive linemen. So I am going to go with Jalen Johnson out of Utah with my pick here. Okay. So then comes the defending Super Bowl champs as we wrap up the first round, Kansas City. And the Chiefs, I think they're saying to themselves, we want to add some depth and we want to give ourselves some more competition on the offensive line, specifically on the interior. Austin Raider is their center, but I don't know necessarily if he's in their long-term plans so this may disappoint Paul also. I think they're going to take Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan with the 32nd overall pick. Ruiz to the Chiefs. Well, Bengals at 33. Believe it or not, I had Ruiz down as one option, and my other option was Josh Jones. 
I should not pick Josh Jones just because I want him to be there. Oh, at the that's Giants not how this works. That's okay. not how this works. That's what I should do, though. Okay, <laughs> but you're not because I want him to be there at 36. In fact, he's my preference over Austin Jackson, to be perfectly frank with you. But I don't see any way he gets out of the first round. Now that we are in the second round, if I want to be honest with you guys. I say Josh Jones has to go to the Bengals at 33. That's why we're doing the exercise, right? We're trying to figure out who's going to be there. Yeah, well, they desperately need offensive line, John. They do. They do. And look, they just drafted Joe Burrow, right? So you want to be able to protect the quarterback. It's the same reasoning for me taking Jedrick Wills at four. Yeah, my my, my heart doesn't want to do it, but I have to. And remember, (laughs) they get Jonah Williams back, who was hurt all of last season. Correct. That's right. They do. Um, So now the Colts have their first pick of this draft. They got this pick from the Redskins last year when Washington traded up for Montez Sweat. So this is interesting. The Colts have Phillip Rivers, right? Who's the quarterback of the future? Jordan Love has lasted this long. I think they roll the dice here. I'm going to give them Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. They did yeah. hold on to Jacoby Brissett, who's still under contract. That doesn't mean he's going to be the answer after Phillip leaves again. So I believe both those guys that, aren't both those guys free agents after this year. Isn't they are, yeah, because Brissett year. was mm-hmm. given just a, a short deal, and Rivers signed a one-year deal. Yep. So yeah. we don't have the fourth quarterback going off the board until the second round. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Then come the Lions, who once again are picking in front of the Giants at 35, and Detroit took Okuda based on Paul's selection in round one. I still think they need help on defense because there's still a lot to like on offense. And one guy that I think is an intriguing option, I know his measurements don't necessarily jump off the page, but he's just that hard-nosed type of player that I think is going to fit in Matt Patricia's defense. And I think they're going to take Zach Bond, the linebacker out of Wisconsin. Paul, he took him right from underneath you. (laughs) I had my eyes lasered <laughs> to Zach Bond on my piece of paper. Well, see, this is what happens when you tell me that earlier in the draft that I was giving you layups all throughout <laughs> the draft, and then you were telling me, I'm so glad you took this guy. So now this is me returning the favor. Look. Actually, all of my picks have been pretty darn easy. They've all been layups and slam dunks, but now you really put the screws <laughs> to me on this one. You really did. Because I, I think you, I know who Paul's going to pick here. Well, you, you, there's no doubt you know who, I, who I'm going to pick here. I'm, I'm going to have to take uh, the, the offensive tackle. I mean, if I don't take Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State here, then I'm out of my mind. Paul, I, I, Paul, he's not even close to being best player available. I asked you this question on last Friday's show, and your quote to me, he's a premium first-round pick. If he's there, I have to take him. Mm-hmm. T. Higgins is sitting there waiting for you, brother. Oh, did you? Yeah, you know, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You took Wills at four. Yeah. So I'm not taking Cleveland here. No way. No way. I'm, I'm, forget that. Forget that. <laughs> I'm Pull my card back. I'm glad we're paying attention here. Well, because it's, it's embedded in my mind like a tattoo that Isaiah Simmons is going to the Giants at four. But but I have to take into account that you have taken Wills. Well, here's the question. The Correct. Would, would you be comfortable, Paul, with Ezra Cleveland here at 36? Not particularly. Not after you took Wills. No, 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 no. But I'm taking. I'm taking no. Terrell Lewis. Okay, that, that. Okay, that. Oh, the pass rusher, really? Yes. I'm not a huge Lewis guy. He has, I think, a tremendous amount of upside. And again, I'm going back to the Alabama thing. 
and I know that we have now given the Giants two Alabama players, but if there's one thing that I do know, that the familiarity with guys, especially in this very strange times that we're living in, where guys are going to be coming in and, you know, you're going to have to trust what you know about them, I suspect that they'll have enough of intel on him, and they're desperate enough for a pass rusher, and he's got tremendous upside. Now, you're right. It's more of a projection than it is a production pick. And he's coming off a serious knee injury two years ago. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to take him. I'm going to take Lewis. So you, you think— Reluctantly. So reluctantly. You, now, you don't think he's a better player than T. Higgins, though, do you? I didn't say he was a better player than T. Higgins. I said I'm, I'm taking into consideration the Saban, the Saban um, uh, judge connection— the Alabama connection. The uh, we also know that the Giants' running backs coach came from Alabama. They they know everything there is to know about every Crimson Tide player, and I think they might draft him higher than somebody else would because they might know something more about him than other teams will who just want to look at the surface. Now I'm going to throw a couple of new names out there. We can discuss them because I think this is more interesting than number four because you don't know who's going to be there. A couple of guys, Paul, that are around and Lance that we've talked about on the show before. By the way, I would have taken Bourne if he was there. I know you would have. Okay, would so have so you could you can talk to Lance about screwing <laughs> me over. See now, but here's my point, Paul. If you let's say you do take Simmons at four, are you okay being pigeonholed in having to take Ezra Cleveland at this spot? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with Cleveland there because I do think he's what's known as a red chipper in my book. And, and I know you guys, you, you may not want to hear this, but I think Cleveland is going to be much like a younger Nate Solder was when he originally came out of school. I, I scouted Solder when, when he was coming out. I wanted him for the Giants. He got plucked before. I mean, what else is new? This happens to me all the time, just like it just did now in this draft. And so uh, I think he's a Nate Solder type. I think he's going to be a good player for a decade. He's going to be a starter. He may not go to a Pro Bowl, but I'm happy with Cleveland there. He's got the to add some strength, though, Paul. You put him in there day one, he might have some problems. I don't expect him to play day one. Okay, fair you enough. You know, Solder's going to hold down the spot as long as he possibly can. I don't think Cleveland has to play day one. Lance, your thoughts? With respect to Ezra Cleveland, you yeah, talking about? Yeah, just who Paul picked and just generally speaking, who, who was available at 36 and, and, and the decision Paul made? Well, I think that if you go offensive lineman with the fourth overall pick, which is what I'm doing based on our mock projections, then I don't know necessarily I would go with another offensive lineman, especially with what they did in free agency. But if Simmons is the fourth overall pick, then I am totally for an offensive lineman high in the second round because I still think there's room to bring in another guy to compete at right tackle and also be a swing guy. So I have no problem with that. And if Ezra Cleveland, let's say he does turn out to be a Nate Solder, I don't think that's bad value at all. If you're picking high in the second round and you're telling me you're going to get a Nate Solder-esque type of player and you look at what he did in New England, because remember, his career is far more with New England than it's been with the Giants thus far, I don't think that's a bad return at all. But that's you my threw comparison, out Higgins at wide receiver, John, and I also think that that would be good value because I think that there's room for the Giants, especially with some of the injuries with Sterling Shepard in the past, that if they want to add some more depth at that position, I don't think that's a bad move either. One other interesting nugget, Paul, a guy that I know you like is sitting there who I know you're very high on. How about Jeff Gladney? Mm. Quarterback out of TCU. <laughs> I, I I can't I can't do it I can't do it I, I I got too many cornerbacks on this roster I'm just overwhelmed. See if I was in a position right here where I had to go BPA 
best player available. Oh, you're by throwing, the way. You're throwing, well, you're throwing names at me that I would be more considerate of. But because I'm all the way down at 36, the best player available quotient takes a little bit less of a factor for me. Well, Paul, but how about this? Another guy you said you would pick if he was there when I asked you last Friday. You realize no one picked a safety yet, right? Oh, McKinney. Yeah-huh. I, 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 McKinney's I was considering terrific. him with an earlier pick, yeah. Yeah, McKinney's terrific. And, and you know, again, see, if I was going to be swayed off of taking, you know, Cleveland or Lewis, if I was to do that, the best player available right now on my board, no question it's McKinney. He is the best player available. If there's no other consideration – then if that's your question to me, McKinney is the best player available. And by the way, that's another Alabama guy. I know. So it goes back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of a lot of connections on the staff right now. Yeah. I'm, I would If it's BPA, I'm taking McKinney. But you're asking me to you know, extrapolate all the other reasons that I have to consider. <laughs> and you know, I got, I got to get myself a pass rusher because the Giants don't have a single solitary person on their defense right now who gives anybody headaches. All right, Glenn, they need to get somebody. If you were picking there at 36, assuming Wills was the pick at four, who would you have selected in that spot? So if they go offensive lineman in the fourth overall pick, yeah. I would probably, now that I think about McKinney a little bit more, McKinney to me makes more sense than Gladney because of the position he plays and the opportunity to come in day one and actually get on the field. So I actually, if I'm considering the whole group now, I would probably lean towards McKinney high in the second round. Yeah, I would have picked Bond if he was there. I'm with you guys on that. Ruiz would have been a consideration. Now maybe Lloyd Cushenberry, he's the guy that a lot of people think might even be the top center in the draft. So I think that's somebody you think about in that spot. Then you're dumbing up an offensive lineman. Are you cool with that? I don't know. Well, you could consider Hennessy if you're going to go center too. Yeah, you could. I'm not a little rich for my blood here. Um, I wouldn't pick T. Higgins here because, you know, I, I, I don't think there's enough value at this spot for him. Um, I think I'd probably reach for Jalen Rager a little bit a little bit earlier, but, you know, is, do I even know T. Higgins is going to be better than Michael Pittman Jr.? I don't. I think Pittman might be a better player. So um, I'm not going to go there. And I love Pittman. I thought about him in this spot. Yeah, I, I, I would probably be down to McKinney or Gladney. It would depend on their analysis if they think Gladney can play the slot and play that nickel spot. I'm not sure if he can. His three-cone drill at the combine was very poor, which is very important when it comes to changing direction, playing that slot cornerback spot. I would probably take McKinney, and then I would slide Jordan Love in to play the nickel cornerback spot. Ooh, I don't like Love in that spot. I don't. I just don't. I, I just think that what we saw last year, he's definitely better at free safety. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. It's anyway, tough. By the way, we also didn't pick a running back yet. No, and there's no reason to. I don't think to. that should be a surprise. There's no reason to. I don't think. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what? This is a, this is a real interesting spot here because I don't think that there is a – and this is where, what it could be at 36, guys, when we get there. I don't think there is any obvious easy selection here for the Giants at 36. Like last year, Paul, we saw Will Hernandez sitting there like, all right, the two years ago, all right, all right this is – this is a no-brainer. This is yes. pretty easy. Agreed. When, when we're looking at this pick at 36 here, there is nobody that's a no-brainer easy selection, in well, my opinion. Well, I, I do think if their board matches our board, the best player available is McKinney. I think all of us probably can agree on that, and, and it's not that close. It depends now on if you want to take other things into consideration. Well, but see, the thing with McKinney 
not only is it good value, but you can argue it also fills a need. Because even if Julian Love is in the mix at safety, maybe you want to put three safeties on the field. Oh, you and absolutely could. McKinney still would have an opportunity to get on as a yes. rookie, I guess is my point. Yes, there's no yeah. question. They could find snaps for him. And exactly. he is he's again, I think he's easily the best player left on the board. So it's it's a it's a good pick. I'm taking the flyer on Lewis if you're taking Wills up top. Just because I have a feeling about this kid's upside, it is a bit of a risk. It is a bit of a projection. I totally agree with you, but I'm going and rolling the dice on that one. Gentlemen, final thoughts before we say goodbye. Well, I hope that the Giants do better than we did. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, hold on a minute. Wow, he's taking a shot at my pick at four. How about that? (laughs) Oh, okay, he was taking a a shot at you. I think so. I'm taking a shot at his his pick and my pick. I don't like either one of them that much. I got you. See, I was looking at the draft (laughs) exercise as a whole, and Paul was very confident in a lot of his selections, so that's why I didn't understand that analysis. But now if you're just focusing on the Giants' picks, I understand where you're going. And I didn't make any of those selections, so it's important for the audience and our (laughs) listeners to know there's a reason why Paul and John may have made you feel a little bit unsettled. I did not make the pick. I feel great about like 85 to 90% of my picks I thought were dunks. I mean, you guys (laughs) left me some great players, except when it came down to 36. (laughs) Gentlemen, good times. Absolutely. Enjoy your weekend. Have a good one, everybody. We thanks to Charlie Campbell. Thanks to Jordan Reed. And thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And we'll be back with you on Monday as we continue to get ready for the NFL Draft.